Cardology is now presented by Sardine, and I couldn't be more excited. You'll get to meet their founder, Soups, and some of the team later this quarter, and you'll hear a bit more about why they've caught the attention of some of the smartest fraud leaders I know throughout crypto, fintech, financial services, and e-commerce. Thanks again to Sardine for supporting this episode of Fraudology. I hope you enjoy it. Welcome to this week's Tuesday episode of the Fraudology podcast, where we dive into the science and study of online fraud from the perspective of an e-commerce fraud fighter. I'm Carice Hendrick. Well, we made it to the last new episode of 2022. I'm going to try not to be sentimental because I sometimes can get that way towards the end of the year. (laughs) But just a little programming note over the next two weeks, we'll be sharing replays of episodes that were especially popular or that were on topics that may have been covered a little too early and are now topics of interest on Tuesdays and Thursdays through the rest of the year. I'll be back with new episodes the first week of January. So for today's episode, instead of a formal interview episode, I wanted to have a conversation with a guest that you all already know. So we could dive right into talking about some of the online fraud lessons that we've learned in 2022 and provide takeaways for 2023. So I asked one of our favorite return guests, Gil Rosenthal, to join me for today's episode. I joked with him towards the end that I haven't, and I still haven't counted, I probably should have done that before doing this intro, but I think he's close to getting his SNL five-time guest jacket. If anyone watches Saturday Night Live, they kind of have this thing where whenever someone has been a guest host for five times or more, they get a green velvet jacket. I don't think Fraudology is going to have something similar, but Uh, Maybe we need to. I just, I really appreciate him and everyone else who has come on this year. I can't even say enough about it. I really enjoy learning from other fraud fighters and just talking with them. And I know you guys do too. And I'm so grateful that Gil has been generous with his time over the last year and a half since I got to meet him. Uh, So one of the reasons why I wanted Gil to join me is because he's incredibly thoughtful about fraud. I always enjoy hearing his takes on something that I've said or on a common story that we both know about just because he has a different perspective and he's very thoughtful about things. And I'm still surprised when he sends an email or when he mentions in a phone conversation a takeaway or any additional thoughts he had on a recent episode of Fraudology. I am still so humbled that he and other people that have been in this industry for so long get just as much out of episodes as people who have been in the industry for just a little while and are in their sponge phase, so to speak. (laughs) I stole that from a relatively new person in fraud fighting this week. I got to talk to several merchants this last week on different topics. And one of them said, I'm in the sponge phase of my career. And so I soak up everything from the podcast. And I went, I like that. (laughs) But then again, I think the cool thing about being in fraud is that we're always learning. I will never be done learning about fraud. And as I've said before, if you ever meet anyone who thinks that they know everything about fraud and online fraud especially, that probably means that at some point they stopped learning. So anyway, that is definitely not Gil. <laughs> and then the other reason I wanted him to join is because while well, I'm primarily focused on e-commerce fraud, Gil's expertise really complement that well with his experience in running fraud and credit risk for large fintech organizations like PayPal and Bluevine. And he's now a consultant and an advisor for several fintech startups and existing organizations. I always enjoy when we catch up with each other because we're both learning in different ways. It's really fun to get to advise different types of companies in different stages because you also get to learn from them just as much as they learn from you as a consultant. It's been really fun to be able to have those conversations as well because for the longest time I felt like the only independent consultant in fraud. It might have been at least on the e-commerce side. So it's nice to have you know, someone else that you can just talk with about those things. But on today's episode, we talked about some of the new some of the themes this past year. So like the new normal that we've found ourselves in. But on today's episode, we talked about some of the themes of this last year and honestly, the new normal that we found ourselves in since the middle of 2022. We kind of started off the new year, as Gil will say, in party mode, especially for startups with you know, VC money running fl- freely and lots of open positions and the economy was good. And then as the year progressed, things changed and 
that's had a real impact on all of us personally in different ways, as well as in our industry, for sure. So some of the things we talked about were, you know, constricted resources and more resourced bad actors. You know, the bad actors, they have more resources and we have less and we're being expected to do more with less. There's higher stakes and why we need to be prepared for fraud and credit risks in a recession. These are all things that I think are very top of mind for everyone listening. And then we talked about takeaways from them and how we suggest that people, that you guys really learn from that and grow from that and maybe some takeaways that we can implement in the new year. So we also talked about our own individual practices for ending a year and starting a new one. And one thing that we both do it shouldn't surprise me at all, but we both came to this episode with this advice. You know, one thing we both do is make lists of what we learned and what we accomplished in the previous year. So for this, it would be 2022. And what lessons we can apply and what goals we have for the upcoming year of 2023. And I try to do that in both my personal and my professional life. I have to say that a lot of times my ambitions are they far exceed what I can actually do and my capabilities, but I at least try to do it for one or the other. Usually it's business, but I do try to do a little bit for personal learnings as well. And so as a small example of putting that advice into action, I wanted to share a few accomplishments specific to fraudology for 2022 and some of my goals for 2023. And one of the reasons I wanted to share that with you is because you are all a part of that. This is not, these are not my own accomplishments. These are our accomplishments. I could never do this alone for so many reasons, not only because I have the best producer, the Rolled Up Network, as well as the editing and producing team at Hosky Media, but also you guys. So in 2022, we had 103 new episodes of Fraudology. No wonder I'm tired. We've had four times as many listeners and downloads since the beginning of this year, which is just humbling and amazing. And that is because of you guys for sharing this with your colleagues within your company, for sharing it on your LinkedIn, for leaving five-star reviews, for subscribing. All of that adds up to helping people with similar interests find the podcast. So that really belongs to you guys. We've had three great sponsors. We had Ravelin and Spectrust and then Sion swooped in and believed in fraudology so much that they sponsored the podcast for the second half of 2022. And I'm grateful for all of them. Also, obviously, very grateful for all of my incredible guests who have taken time to provide a lot of insights and experiences to the online fraud community. We all have our own experiences. We all have things that we've learned that others can learn from. And be, especially because we're an emerging industry that doesn't have college courses or many books. We this year did get our very first fraud book in practical fraud prevention. And I'm so grateful. So I hope it can only go up from here. But because of that, we really need to learn from each other. And I'm so grateful that I get to provide that in one way. I joke that I also attended my first major in-person fraud conference since starting Fraudology since I start this, started this solo episode during the pandemic. And I have never felt like so much of a celebrity. Uh, you guys are just too much, but I really appreciated it a lot. It was very odd. Sometimes it's weird to go to a conference and have people you don't know ask like, hey, how was your move or how's your daughter? But I also love it. It's just, it could throw me off for just a minute. But in 2023, my goals and, and my plans are really to continue to provide thought-provoking conversations and you know more deep dive topics on Thursdays with more top fraud fighters and trust and safety experts. That's something that I have a long list of that I'm really looking forward to actually using this two-week break to hopefully get caught up on reaching out to them so that we can continue to bring, I mean, there are some amazing people with great experiences who have volunteered to be a part of the podcast for this next year, just like the ones at this past year. So can't wait for that. I'm also looking forward to introducing you to four more sponsors that met my, you know, my three criteria for sponsorships. For those that don't know, and I'll try to be quick about it, but one is that they have to have a good product in the industry. Two is that their clients need to like them not just the product, but also the service and customer success teams. And the third is that the industry needs to like that sponsor. They need to not feel like they have over aggressive sales tactics or 
that they're over-promising and under-delivering. All of those things are important to me. I wanted to make sure that I at least have criteria that can be more objective than just, oh, I don't like them. Uh, Typically, the majority, if not all of my opinions around solution providers in the industry do come from other companies and practitioners in the industry, whether that's on the fintech and financial services side or the merchant side. I try to be as agnostic as possible. However, there are some times when I start to hear the same thing from more than a handful of companies and I can get a little bit protective and frustrated, but that's <laughs> but really when it comes to sharing companies with you all, it's really important to me that their clients like them, that the people who have engaged in sales conversations with them didn't have a negative experience and that they have a good product that they are continuing to invest in research and development and might hear a little bit of a rant about that later on in the episode about companies that may not be investing as much in research and development and product innovation. But that's just a taste of something to come in the new year. I apologize, but also I know some of you, I'll say you're welcome because I know you wish you could say it. And then lastly, for 2023, I hope and plan to provide more opportunities for learning and building a fraud fighter community. It's very clear both through the responses to the listener survey that we put out earlier this year, as well as you know, just in all conversations I have with fraud fighters that we continue to need and, and want and crave more community. And so I hope that that's something that Fraudology can continue to provide in new and exciting ways. All right, guys. Well, I'm going to sign off of this intro for today. I really look forward to you hearing this conversation with Gil. And I always love hearing what you take out of these conversations and you know, maybe what lessons you've learned this year, as well as what are you planning for for next year? What are your predictions for this next year? I really believe that 2022 was a pivotal year and a real big changing year for fraud. And I- I'm nervous about what's to come. But at the same time, I know that we are a very capable industry and know that all of you are just so brilliant that we'll we'll get through it and we'll learn a lot and we'll be able to be better because we learn from each other. All right. I hope that you all have a great holiday season, whatever holiday you may celebrate and that you have a great new year. Gil, thank you so much for Coming back to fraudology, I always enjoy when you're here and enjoy our conversations. And I know that the audience does too. So thank you for making the time. Thank you for having me here again. I always love talking to Icarus and when it's recorded, even better. Likewise. I know we, it's funny. I always, you know, we'll just put like 60 to 90 minutes on someone's calendar for the interview. But for you and I, it really should be three hours because we catch up and then we're like, oh shoot, we need to record. (laughs) but I'm so happy that things are going well for you and that you're busy and that you took time out of your that very busy schedule to come talk with me especially about I wanted to do a retrospective in a way uh looking back on this past year I mean I think that we could write a novel about this last year in fraud in various industries I I think it's been the last couple years have been very significant in the changes that have happened. But I wanted to have one last episode in this year to just kind of reflect on those and, you know, talk about lessons from 2022 and some takeaways for 2023. And you instantly came to mind for several reasons. One, because you are very reflective and thoughtful. And I always enjoy learning kind of what your thoughts are. You just told me some thoughts you had on some previous episodes. And that really was interesting to me. But also because I feel like I have a blind spot outside of e-commerce. I am aware of things that happen in fintech and, and all of that, but not fintech and financial services and banking, but not as much as e-commerce. So I wanted you to come help balance me out as well. First, I think there's no one I would like recapping 2022 more than, more than with you. And then I'm like very, very happy to have this conversation and talking about my schedule being busy. I know you have been under like huge <laughs> pressures and time constraints lately. And so I think just you having the time to do this for us as a community is always amazing. 
No, I appreciate that. I make it a priority, even if that means I'm recording at like 1030 at night. I mean, thankfully, it's not 1030 at night, neither of our time zones yet or at all. We'll stop before it gets to that point. But it's a labor of love. And and I'm also so grateful that we have sponsors that sponsor the content. And so that helps hold me accountable as well. I kind of joke that I have to prioritize what I'm contractually obligated to do first. But I am so grateful that I'm contractually obligated to provide the podcast. So I'm consider myself extremely lucky. And, you know, I'm not gonna lie, if anyone sent me an email in the last week, it's probably has not been answered yet. But I'm, you know, I'm getting there. And I do feel like with the holidays coming up, I mean, no matter what, you know, people individually celebrate or anything like that, I feel like there's like this senioritis in the air. I've been having a hard time concentrating the last couple days, if I'm being honest. <laughs> Very fair. So let's dive in. I mean, I think this could easily, I mean, any episode with us could easily be three hours, but knowing that, especially since we put out the survey for fraudology listeners and all that, I know that they would like it to be under 45 minutes. So we'll give it our best shot. Thankfully, our editors can condense it a little bit. So, you know, even if we talk for an hour, it's usually you know shorter, but still there are so many lessons of 2022. And I would, I welcome anyone who's listening to do this exercise as well. I've found the last few years that it helps me from a personal standpoint as well as professional. So I kind of do two lists. Like one is the professional things that have happened in the industry. Like what are the benchmarks? What were the big significant changes and lessons? And one of the reasons I do that is because I often will speak at conferences about those things the next year, but also because otherwise they all blend together and we kind of forget the the cadence and just kind of like oh yeah, that change happened or this happened. Additionally, it's because from a personal perspective, I always want to grow and change and learn. So, you know, if I write out the lessons that I've learned and then what intentions I want to set for the next year, it can help kick me off to a good start. It's sometimes emotionally tasking, but it kind of, you know, closes one chapter and opens another. Totally. So I wanted you to kind of start off with your list and then I'll tack on from mine because as we just briefly talked about Basically, I did the same thing did last time you were here where I was like, why don't we just come to the party with three of our own things and we'll talk about it. And I was like, oh, well, that fits exactly like we were very much on par, but different perspectives. So I'd love for you to share the first lesson of 2022 that you have come to learn. Yeah. So I think the first thing when I think about 2022 is what I call resources constraint. So in some ways we had. Definitely on the fintech side, but I, also, I think that same also applies for e-commerce. I've had a party going on in 2021 and <laughs> that kind of stopped. And as far as that, venture capital funding, as far as high revenues, as far as, you know, there's just, I, I think honestly, in all of technology, we really haven't had a winter, right? Like quote, quote, unquote, like it's just been all upside since the early 2000s. Yeah. And. I think the 08 to 2010 is probably yeah. was probably a bit of a winter, but um, well, true. Yeah, but but definitely, I think 2021 was was massive in a lot of ways because we saw so many things and, moving online in 2020 that there was yeah. a lot of money and attention and resources and hiring and all of that done, thinking that that was the new normal. Yeah, and and yeah. when you and I spoke early in the year or late last year. One of the main themes we talked about was how a lot of these companies focus on growth and they don't prioritize getting things right. And that is difficult for us trying to do the right thing on on the fraud prevention side because there's such a huge focus on growth at all costs. I think that has definitely gone like slowed down quite significantly or gone by the wayside in some cases. I think there's a lot more priority, uh, definitely in my side of the world, on unit economics, on making sure that the company, the product, everything is profitable. We're aiming towards profitability and focusing on that and kind of like the bottom line instead of the top lines. And then the other side of the resources constraints is that we as as fraud teams, as risk teams, are being asked to do more with less. Ooh. We have less resources, lower budgets, a lot of times less headcounts than we had at the beginning of the year. And fraud has not gotten simpler to solve. I'm sure we'll tackle pretty soon, but so we need to figure out how to do more with less. And to me, these are, this is just a, a very big theme from 2022 that I think is going to last well into 2023. Yeah, I agree with you. I mean, we definitely saw a lot of reduction in headcount, which does impact real humans. And that's really hard. And 
I know it's made the job market so much harder and more competitive and all of that. But I've also said many times that it impacts the people who are left. I've been one of those people a few times, I think you have as well, where you're left having to do a lot more with less. And I think that finding the priorities, you know, what's most important is is good. I think that also, you know, need to understand that like, that fraud isn't linear. It can't be forecasted like other parts of the business, right? So similar to what I think Robert Capp said that a couple months ago when we were talking where he was like, well, you know, a lot of companies will look at, okay, we have a reduction in in profits. So we need to make a reduction in force that matches that in customer service and across the board in every department. The problem is, is that fraudsters don't ask for budget. They don't, once they see a vulnerability, they're going to attack it, you know, until it stops. So we need to be better at explaining to the business the importance and also that you are you're holding on to more money right that it's it's everything's more optimized but to your point 2022 has been a challenging i think the first half was still kind of a little bit of that party or maybe the first quarter and then after that quarter it was like oh (laughs) and i do think that there were some companies who we're a little too optimistic or that put priorities in, in other places, but that's not fair to the workforce and that's frustrating as well. But yeah, I think that's a really good one. So, I mean, I guess I kind of was teetering into the, the next section, but as far as the takeaways for 2023, you know, what do you think those are? Because it's not like it's going to go back to the party mode in 2023, right? Now this is kind of a new normal. Think about this is if I need to have stronger controls about unit economics, hmm. And I need to just generally have stronger controls and capabilities of knowing where to put in my resources, where to put in my efforts. That means I need a good command center mm. and good levers that I know how to pull and how to employ very quickly. And that's something that if you don't have, if you don't know your metrics, if you don't have good visualization of what they look like, of how you're doing, how you're tracking compared to your targets on I know some companies do this on, on a weekly or monthly cadences. Others do it on daily. And, and I've heard of companies that do this and, and like a by hour by hour, how are we tracking to our, to our KPIs? Because sometimes you want to catch that spike as soon as it starts happening. Having that capability is critical to being hyper-efficient. Yeah, efficiency is so important. And sometimes we're so in the weeds that we don't take a step back and look at the process and the higher level and how much you can optimize both with newer technologies, maybe from third parties or within your organization, right? Like there, I love doing the nerdy, but I love going in and being like, what are your processes across the board? Because weak processes will create big gaps and vulnerabilities for fraud but they also can create more work and less efficiencies. And you're absolutely right that if you can transition it, and it probably sounds like a pipe dream to a lot of people, but you know, start to transition your approach and your strategy to losses and, and risk into a command center approach. I know of many companies that are investing time and resources into alerts so that they have real-time alerts on various KPIs and controls so that they can be alerted right away. In addition to the command center and all that, which is so important and being able to be flexible and being able to say, okay, fraud's going to change regularly. We need to keep assessing, are we using the right tools? Are we using the right processes? Are we using, you know, all of those things? And sometimes it means having, you know, an extra set of eyes come in and look at that. Obviously, we're both speaking as consultants. So that is something that we have done and will do. But also, I think that being able to speak to the business about the importance of fraud is equally as important. Understanding how fraud impacts your business and the bottom line and those unit economics, recognizing how fraud prevention can actually enable the business and the bottom line. You know, for every for every $1 that we catch in fraud, we are saving the company $3.16. For every transaction that we approve that wasn't actually fraud, but it looked risky. And depending on the performance level of our fraud prevention tool, we might have more of those than we could because they're kind of looking at it from a hammer or they have some systems have a harder time working at that gray area. And we'll just put any gray into the black category, so to speak. Being able to look at how can we optimize those false positives, not just for those initial sales or initial accounts, but the lifetime spend. 
having those conversations with leadership are so important. I've talked to a couple merchants recently that are really struggling with that. And understandably so, there's not a course in that, I mean, right now, but I think that it's really important to think, well, what does it mean? Like, what's the impact? And how can I explain to the business that we can enable it and not just be here to, you know, stop the bad guys or cancel sales or cancel accounts, I think is going to be, is equally important. Yes, totally. And, and definitely the way I think about this is in a way when the party was going on, it was easy for us to be in silos, right? Like mm. you can stay in your lane, you can do what you're comfortable with because you're not as much as under pressure. Mm -hmm. But now the pressure is real. And if your leadership doesn't understand the value of your team, that that is going to be to very strongly impact the resources you're going to yes. be able to get. And it's going to be a lot harder to maintain strong teams without collaborating with the rest of the company and without educating your company and your leadership about what that means. A hundred percent. Yeah. And and saying, hey, this is what we're up to and this is what we stopped. And this is what we're seeing. And I know that there's been a lot of focus on our loyalty program recently, but I want to let people know that we have an account signup problem that they are draining our loyalties, right? For every account that gets opened and put in our loyalty program, we're giving them a $10 off promo code. Well, we're seeing that being abused you know, and stacked with other things. So now they're only paying $5 and they're paying it on a stolen credit card or other things like that. Because I do know that especially with supply chain issues this last year, that the economics have gotten harder on some retail goods. And with some companies called arbitrage, but basically there are a lot of people who want to sell, and this is specific to the US, but it can, you know, happen everywhere, want to sell the goods in that are in your country in a different country for higher margins. And so oftentimes they'll be like, oh, well, I can get an even higher margin if I game the system and if I earn points on all of these purchases and then I get to redeem them for more items. There's one retailer in particular that did an analysis. They'd never even thought of it before, but did an analysis on the accounts that redeemed the most points or the most free items. And they realized that it was only like 85% of the redemption was done by 1% of their customers. And when they really looked into it more, those were the customers that were going to spend on their website anyway, because they were going to make 3x on those products anyway, right? So yeah. when they started, this was something that the CEO even got involved in because it was the items were costing more. There wasn't as much of a profit margin for that retailer. And now on top of that, you're giving these things away for free. Well, the loyalty program is supposed to incentivize, you know, regular customers to buy more, not the people who are going to buy it and resell it anyway. They're trying to just heighten their margins. So there's just a lot of factors like that, that by working with other departments, by understanding how all of these things work and are connected and then share that with that, you know, hey, we did this analysis and this is what we found. It might be helpful. It really is during a recession and, and during a downtime. It's a time to kind of have that team impact and not be in silos anymore. And, you know, be vocal about how you're helping this team and that team or be transparent, it can add value as well as recognition and more resources or at least not less resources. Yeah, I fully agree. And I think actually you touched on the recession that actually ties to my, my next point, which yeah. is, which is that this year we've seen fraud change in part because there's a recession and in part because interest rates went up very, very significant. And when interest rates go up, that impacts the economy. And one of the biggest impacts that it has is that it creates a credit crunch. Lenders lend less. And when lenders lend less, a few different things happen. One, you start seeing companies shut down. Two, you're starting to see people being a bit more desperate. But three, which is something we don't think about as much, is that there's less lending fraud just because they, there's less lending. So in pure numbers, there's less. But those fraudsters aren't going away. They're just shifting to another area. So we're seeing that moving to other places. So it's moving from consumer lending and, and credit cards and bank lending and commercial lending moved into BNPL. And we're seeing it move from BNPL into pure e-commerce. We're seeing it move into other places that are, it's not down the food chain, but it's down the dollar value, right? Mm -hmm. Like where every fraud nets the bad actor less, but it's more than zero and hmm. you're still there. And in addition to that, we have more first party 
fraud that happens in times of recession. And that we saw, I, I think there, there are clear reports about that in 08, mm -hmm. 2010. Oh, yeah. And I think that is that has been spiking this year and is likely to push well into 2023 again. So that was my next thing is we need to shift our mindset a bit to high interest rate recession time fraud. Mm. And what does that look like? I mean, from a fintech and lending perspective, I mean, it sounds like it, it looks like less fraud for you or for that that sector. But I think kind of what you're saying, I've heard somebody else say this. I was trying to think of a better analogy, but how fraud is kind of like a balloon. Like if you're creating like a balloon animal and, you know, you twist the balloon, it might be less on one side, but the air's still got to go somewhere. And so somewhere. that's kind of what you're talking about, I think, with, you know, okay, so we're going to see less fraud in lending we're going to see less third-party fraud in lending because there isn't as much money being given out, but we're going to see more first-party fraud and other areas are going to see the fraud that we usually see is that because obviously they're not just going to retire. They'll move to another path of least resistance and more opportunity. Sardine is now sponsoring Fraudology. And one of the reasons I've been so impressed by Sardine is their founder, Soups Ranjan. You'll hear my full conversation with him in the next few weeks, and you'll get to hear about some of his experiences and his passion for fraud fighting for yourself. But the TLDR, or the high-level summary, is that he started out as a fraud fighter with an engineering and data science background, and he was tasked with quickly identifying a fraud solution for one of the fastest-growing companies in the relatively new and high-risk crypto industry almost a decade ago. But after learning about the available options for online fraud detection, he became frustrated with the existing tools on the market. And as fellow fraud fighters, I think a lot of us know exactly the kind of tools he was frustrated with. The legacy fraud tools that just return a score or a signal or a yes, no, maybe. Without your team getting to understand all of the aggregated data or the value attributed to each data point that goes into calculating that score or the vendor who won't give you your company's data for your own models and their own user interface was probably an afterthought. And let's be honest, Soup wasn't the only one who's been frustrated by the status quo in fraud technology. But not all of us are able to rage quit our jobs, recruit a few of the smartest risk engineers we've ever known, and go build a fraud platform that is truly built by the fraud squad for the fraud squad. A platform for KYC, AML, and payment risk all in one product that lets the client company decide how to best use the massive amounts of data that's available to them. And that's pretty much exactly what Soups did a few years ago. And the result of those efforts has become one of the fastest growing solution providers in fraud that I've seen in many years. And that company is Sardine. To learn more about Sardine or to book a personalized demo, you can go to www.sardine.ai or just click the link at the top of the description for today's episode. Yeah. So, so with fintechs, that means that fintechs who were providing services that, that before they thought were lower risk, that risk is shifting up. So if you're a neobank and you're offering bank accounts, you're offering ACH payments, you're offering wire payments, debit cards, those are starting to become more risky. I'm sure that also is, has impacts in e-commerce in other places. I think the other impact is that we talked a few times, I think, about you wanting to be like you don't need to be faster than the bear. You just need to be faster than the slowest person running away from the bear. That's been a very like, common trope in fraud. Yeah, we don't have to, you know, outrun the fraudster. We just have to be better than the other companies, you know, that they can hit in a similar way as us, right? Whether it's because we have the same products or we're in the same industry or we have similar vulnerabilities. Yeah. Exactly, because they'll figure it out. You can trust fraudsters that they want to maximize their money to so they'll just move on. Only now, between those resources constraints we talked about before, between high interest rates and recession, some of those are just dropping off the map. That mm -hmm. Some of those companies that before weren't as fast, weren't as good. They were easier are, are, targets. They were easier targets. Some of them now need to shut down. And when they shut down, compared to the bear, we're now closer to it. Right? Like that. Mm -hmm. So... Our risk profile goes up from that perspective too. And that's something that I think fintechs need to keep in mind, but also pretty much any other player in the digital space. 
that like allows money movement. Hmm. Yeah. And speaking from an e-commerce perspective, I mean, the fraud landscape continues to change. Gosh, I mean, it's just only only in quotation marks been two and a half, almost three years since kind of the beginning of us realizing what refund fraud was. And that has been a lot. I mean, it continues to grow and change and be rapid and, and challenges us to identify it in a completely different way. We can't identify it at time of purchase. We have to identify it at a different place. And that has been keeping us on our toes. But I think that just like you said, how fraud in lending and fintech and financial services changes during a recession and during economic downturn, so does e-commerce and marketplaces and all of that. And we see a lot more first party fraud too. I mean, the reason I was hired by a very large online travel agency, 11 well, wait, um, 12 years ago now. I started it a week after I got married. So that's how I remember when I started it. How long it's been since I started that job. I'm like, how long have I been married? They hired me there to build a process for friendly fraud and first party fraud chargebacks because it was becoming such a problem. And that goes back to process, right? I was able, I had the luxury to have nine months to really dive into the problem and what's going on and then build a process based on my experience and knowledge of chargebacks to be able to identify it, to be able to prevent it at the time of chargeback, and then also sometimes to recover it that needed to happen. And that's something we talked about in a previous episode, you know, talking about couch cushions, right? Or like how to, you know, optimize and how to find more money for your business within the fraud department. But beyond friendly fraud and first party fraud, where we just defined it with chargebacks, now we have refund fraud. Now we have INRs. Now we have, oh, I didn't inventory not received. I didn't get it. Or I only got the right shoe and not the left shoe. Or... Yeah, all these other things where I'm going to send something back and, you know, I'm going to return the item. But really all you return is, oh my goodness, it runs the gamut from like toilet paper to candy to little green army men to cans of peas to whatever else. So they're all gaming system and there's a mix between people who are doing it out of desperation and people that are doing it out of this is their job and this is their like new profession. I think that because of PVP and unemployment fraud and just the whole everything that happened during COVID, there were a lot of fraudsters that cut their teeth on those things that realized, wow, I can make a lot of money and not do a lot of work and I don't have a conscience, so it's fine. They haven't gone away either. So I think we have a lot more fraudsters in play. And then the other thing I'd say too is, you know, beyond all of that, we're also seeing a lot more organized crime and often international organized crime, transnational organized crime. And oftentimes it's coming from places that have geopolitical issues, whether that's a stagnant economy because of COVID, whether that is a stagnant economy because of sanctions due to invasion of another country. I can draw some very direct lines to some of the trends and problems and newer issues that we've seen on the e-commerce side to specific countries because of the geopolitical issues. And that I don't think is going away either. Yeah, I fully agree with that. I think We've seen, in a way, 2020 being a year where amateur fraudsters got to try out their teeth on fraud. 2021, some of those became proficient. Yeah. And in 2022, a lot of what we're dealing with now are our experts. We have mm -hmm. highly professional fraudsters. Like I, you and Shana have been doing a masterful job of documenting the master manipulators. And uh, we have more to update. <laughs> <It's a lot. laughs> but yeah, the write up that Shoshana wrote a couple of weeks ago was, was I agree. incredible. I, I highly recommend everyone to look mm -hmm. that up. But we're seeing these are fraud organizations. We yeah. kept talking about them being well capitalized, and we know that yeah. they're, they have better tools at their disposal. But now they are, at least in some places, very, very well organized. And that puts more pressure on us to up our maturity level, our sophistication level, and get, get to the places that we might have thought, oh, like, yeah, that's a pipe dream. One day, maybe I will have all of these. Like, so now having tools and capabilities that can actually protect us is becoming mm. more and more of a pressing matter. Well, and I'm going to add to that, and oftentimes a lot of our, my advice, especially, you know, is to fraud practitioners like merchants and for you, it's, you know, people that have fraud or risk in their title. And for me, it's like fraud or trust and safety in their title. But I'm going to plead with vendors that they need to start investing in more R&D and innovation. I 
this will be a much longer episode and rant earlier in the new year. But I love when Gil just gets a big <laughs> smile on his face. You can't audibly hear that. So I had to say that because he knows my rants well. But unfortunately, solution providers in the space have become more focused on their own end game, their own exit their own acquisition or IPO. And unfortunately, as soon as that acquisition or IPO happens, oftentimes it's stagnant. And that is real money on the line that you're losing for your customers and your merchants. That is also real money that is being given to really awful organized crime organizations that are doing some really bad things. And I understand it's all about the dollar there, but there is becoming a bigger and bigger delta between the goals and missions of merchants and banks and fintechs and the goals and missions of vendors. And unfortunately, merchants and fintechs and, and FIs, they can't reinvest every four or five years in a new solution because their old solution got acquired and is just kind of sitting on a shelf somewhere. And we've also seen some really big consequences with that recently, where, you know, when that happens, they might be more vulnerable. Those providers might be more vulnerable to attack or they may be more vulnerable to, you know, taking on customers or merchants that, that aren't legitimate and then can get in their network and, and do bad things. It's really, I'm getting my mom voice, but that's because we need, it. this needs to be all hands on deck. And it can't just be all about fraud fighters having to, you know, the processes are important. And I think honestly, processes are more important than technology. That technology should come second. But there are too many fraud providers in the space that are equivalent to a five or 10 year old computer. They don't have the right the right amount of processing power. They don't have the right amount of capabilities. And a lot of the people that are left after acquisition don't really have the passion that they had before. That I'm not saying they shouldn't get acquired, but that needs there needs to be more focus on R&D and innovation past the acquisition point. And because nobody can be stagnant and you can't go on cruise control. There are also yeah. too many companies that think you know, fraud prevention is fraud prevention and every company is different. And let me tell you, especially with the master manipulators, there is such a clear delineation between what fraud providers people use and how successful they are. It is black and white. I would even say, say more than that. I, I would say that with us, the, the fraud teams, the buyers in the situation, yeah. having limited resources and hmm. resource constraints and needing higher levels of sophistication. Yeah. Vendors who are comfortable being mediocre are going to start feeling the attrition from that hmm. because those names start becoming very apparent mm -hmm. when you start having conversations about, wait, but who is actually good? Yeah. And who is just like, just trying to cover their basis because it's a product that they're selling and they've been selling it for such a long time and they want to keep those customers. It's on cruise control. Yeah. yeah. So mediocre isn't good enough when the other side is innovating. Ooh, that is so good. I want to like put that in quotes and put it on a meme or something. It's so true. <laughs> it's so true. I that's, you know, that was really what I was trying to get at with all of my words. And you just said it so succinctly, but I just get so frustrated. And it's hard for me because I in a perfect world, we would all work together for the same common goal. But that isn't the case. And unfortunately, I've had to, you know, had some uncomfortable conversations lately, I base a lot of my decisions on what companies sponsor the podcast and what companies I will work with in my consultancy and whether I should or I shouldn't do that from a business perspective is like a whole other conversation. <laughs> you know, I think I have been fired by a business coach because they're like, oh my gosh, you shouldn't be so picky about your clients. But I'm like, but no, I mean, if they don't have a common goal to be good to their clients and you're right, it does float. We all hear it. And I have a pretty good database in my head of who is still innovating and, and who is not. And nothing irks me more when I talk to a new, like a newer merchant who maybe recently went online and this actually just happened this afternoon. So it's fresh in my brain who, you know, didn't know who to trust and everybody sounded the same. And so they picked the, the company that they thought sounded the best or that was less or whatever. And over a decade old technology and they are a high risk company. And they are having a lot of chargebacks and a lot of declines because those types of companies, they aren't good at looking at the gray area. And so it, they're putting the gray area more in the black category. And so it just, I think I said that, but those types of things, the type of fraud provider you have really makes a difference on your company's bottom line. And I don't think enough companies are looking at that. 
I've done some analysis over the last year of some companies where they don't even realize that, wow, we, you know, if we just did this and this, we would save so much money. And you're right. Some of these companies that are mediocre are also charging the most or, you know, merchants need to think about, well, how can we be more efficient? How can we be more effective? Do we really need to pay this extra fee and that extra fee, et cetera? We talked about that in the last episode that we did together, but I think it's worth reiterating that things need to be evaluated. Yeah. And and I can say I've had more than five different customers who I've sat in on their, okay, we're now coming to the end of the year and we're going to mm. do vendor reassessments. Yeah. Because this is a big part of our budget. Yes. We're optimizing everything now. So if I'm taking away employee lunches or, or mm. flight budget, flight and travel yep. budget, definitely looking into these six to seven figure vendor contracts that we have. Yeah. Some of them are eight figures and yeah. some of them are bloated. And I mean, don't even start on payment processing. I have more than a couple of clients I've had over the years where I just ask for their merchant statement because I want to look at the chargeback piece. And then because I've been in merchant payments, I start looking at the other fees and I'm like, what in the heck? And then all of a sudden we go down this rabbit hole and I'm like renegotiating their current contract with their current provider for so much less because they've never renegotiated it or they have so much more volume now or things like that. And I know that vendors are over here going, shut up. But at the same time, to your point, Gil, like if they aren't optimizing their own bills, they're, they're going to be cut altogether. So it's, yeah, it's it's just like from a fraudster perspective, right? Something is more than nothing. And, and they I, should be working with you and wanting to say, hey, this is what's happening and, and trying to educate. We should have a team effort rather than, you know, maybe answering the phone when your client calls or, you know, maybe responding to an email within a week, like that kind of thing. It, it's going to be remembered and it's going to be told to other peers and it's going to be thought of when they're doing vendor reassessments for sure. And and I think if we translate this to takeaways to 2023, yes. I, I think we're talking about, first of all, map your gaps, right? Yes. Like if we're talking about, okay, we're, we're now being attacked by more sophisticated actors in some cases, they move fast. If you, where, wherever you have a gap, if you don't, if, you, if you're not aware that it's there, that's going to be very painful. And then on the other hand, like map your capabilities, map, mm, map your coverage and, and, and that in part means, okay, is this vendor giving me what I'm expecting them to give me? Is this vendor costing me more than other vendors in the same space? Where are they compared to others mm-hmm. in, in the same industry? Those are good practices to do in normal times with limited resources. Those are highly needed practices. Yeah. And sometimes it's about how your provider is billing you, right? Are they, you know, billing you per transaction, but you're sending over, maybe we need to have one layer before we send over transactions so that anything that has already been, you know, reoccurring customer on the same device and everything else doesn't get, you know, I know that they don't like that, but like that's one option. Or right now we are covered with chargeback liability, but if I actually map out how much we're paying the provider and how much they're repaying us for chargebacks, and then I look at maybe that same provider offers an uncovered model. Maybe they don't. But you're looking at that. Are we able to take that? You Should we do a switch? But mapping your apps is so important. And if you don't know where those are, I think you look at the losses. That's the first place I always look for assessing is where are your losses? Where are they coming from? Mapping them back. If you don't have a full process mapped out of everywhere, you know, every process and piece of fraud and, and what's decided and where it is and from the point the customer clicks checkout or account all the way to fulfillment, that's where you need to start. And then you start, you know, because we don't explain the product enough or these are that kind of thing, going back to the root cause is so critical. And I think the other thing that, shoot, now I'm like, you had such a good point that I thought of. And I'm like, now I really wanted to circle back to it. Thankfully, the editor will take that out. Shoot, what was the last thing you said? Because I feel like I was going to circle back on that. I, I talked about gaps. Yeah. Right. Like what, After gaps. Mapping gaps and reassessing vendors. I think those were my last two points. Okay, perfect. I thought there was something else, but yeah. And I think that also just, yeah, looking at your gaps and reassessing your vendors is such a good point, as well as talking to the business about it, right? Once you have done an assessment of vendors, it's great to loop in your leadership and say, hey, you know what? We proactively did this assessment of our vendors. We identified some areas where we can cut costs. Or we identified that there's another provider out there now who can do this for less. Or we found a provider that does 
like they're so good at trash to treasure model, so to speak, right? They'll take all of our declines and they'll take another pass at it. And they might accept more than 70% of those. And we only pay them on what they pass. And then if they get a chargeback, it's covered. Like things like that, like knowing what's out there. That's one of my favorite things, I think, because I really grew up in fraud during the recession. I think I've gotten really good at being able to identify areas of opportunity. Also looking at, you know, should you be fighting as many chargebacks as you are? Are you getting a ton of fees for second times? You know, like all of those things all the way through are just so important. And then, like I said, looping in your leadership and saying, hey, we identified this opportunity. This is what we did about it. This is how much we saved. I, I mean, I think you put all of the pieces together. That, but I think we yes. often as fraud fighters forget that last piece. In fact, I was kind of like struggling, like, what was the last piece I was going to say? And that was exactly it was now now that you've done the thing, you need to take a lap around the metaphorical office these days and make sure people are aware of it, not just at your performance review. And I'm not talking about like patting yourself on the back and throwing a ticker tape parade, but like, you know, hey, I just want to touch base with you and share with you what our team is doing, you know, as part of the team and part of the effort to shore up expenses and, and tighten things up so that our revenue is higher, so that our profit margins are higher, so that we can continue to thrive and hopefully not have to cut more, hopefully not have to cut bonuses or headcount or travel or whatever it is. And, and it shows the impact of fraud, right? Like, oh, wow, yeah, you guys have, you know, you're proactive and wow, you don't just sit there and press buttons to cancel orders. Huh. <laughs> yes. And if at the same time you can get yourself to a higher sophistication level, well, that that's great. If we're going to save X amount of dollars on this vendor by replacing them with a competitor, which will give us a better result at a lower yes. price. That makes it a lot more appealing to put on the roadmap yes. and, and to get the, the development resources you might need. So yeah, I, I 100% agree with you. I wasn't always good at that, but I've learned that over the years. And especially as I work with so many fraud fighters, I see like, oh yeah, that person, oh, yep, that has to be done, that second loop. Sometimes we're just so focused on the work. We don't think about just like looping everyone else into what we did, but that has so many payoffs. Because we talk all the time about, well, we don't feel valued or appreciated or nobody understands what we do. Well, how often do we tell them what we do or you know what we've done proactively and, and how we've saved the company money or how we've you know protected the company from something? And at the top of this episode, you mentioned how important it is to look at the lessons learned, look at your takeaways. Mm. Part of this is also share those. Do yeah. you, if you've done this work, if you're able to come to the rest of your company and say, Here's what happened to us in 2022. Yeah. Here's what's important for us to do in 2023. Oh my gosh. That buys you so much goodwill of them understanding what is going on in your world and what help do you need and why is this important? I highly recommend it. It's super easy. That is really good point, especially you know, there's a lot of companies that in Q4 are just underwater, but it's really good at like mid-January. Sometimes you need to wait a little longer for e-commerce for the chargebacks to come in. But you know, once you have a full picture of last year, I, I think that's really smart. It's blending those two things. And I actually hadn't thought about that, but it's a good way to start the year of like, hey, these are the significant things that happened and, and chart them on a graph and, you know, invite you know, maybe first show your your direct leader, but then say, I'd like to, you know, share this with the heads of other departments because it impacts fraud touches every other area of the business and they may not realize that. That can also start to forge relationships for the next year of, hey, these are lessons that we learned and, and that we really need to get, in, we need to be working more with customer service and give you some more support. We learned that we need to be, you know, looking at finance in this way and that way. Like, I think that's brilliant. Moving on to the third one, because it, it is also one that I put on my list as well. What was your third? I'm not going to say final lesson, because I think if we really could, we would have 10 each. But <laughs> what was your your third lesson that you wanted to share? So I, I think we, we already touched on this, but from my perspective, it's just how like the professionalization of fraudsters is how much they became more proficient in what they're doing, more sophisticated, mm -hmm. have better tools, more organized. It seems to have jumped a level. And that definitely, I think, was a lot clearer in 2022 than it was in 2020. Yeah. Yeah, I think we still felt like we were in the fog of war of 2021 and it was still a transitional year. But you're right. I think, you know, and I don't know how much of it is this, but I know that I've talked about this before, but like all of the money that was stolen from governments in 2020 because of COVID relief, especially the U.S. government, but the U.K. and others as well, 
I don't think that all fraudsters just spent that money. I think a lot of them used it to invest in new resources or learn more and get more organized and get more technology and start recruiting programmers and, and developers from Stanford and MIT to build them scripted attacks. I mean, that's really happening, right? And I am blown away by, and I don't, it takes a lot to get me really like, whoa, this is new. But the master manipulators, as you talked about before, like they are really showing that they have such a knowledge, not just of like how to commit fraud, but they know what we're doing on the to combat it. They know what we have access to. And, you know, I, I can pick on vendors for lots of white papers and things like that. And because a company is now with, you know, CCPB and GDPR, they have to disclose who they work with and who gets their customer data. Well, now all they have to do is look up your white papers and your blogs to know how your system works. That's not all of it, but, you know, it has to be a combination of processes and technology. That's why, right? Because they try to figure out a game, the technology. But I think that the other piece of that beyond what we've already talked about with these organized crime, just, I don't know, is it organized crime? Rings? Rings? Sure. Yeah. I was going to say like, yeah, I was going to try to come up with something else because they're not, they're, they're basically run like companies, but like at the same time, it's yeah, like these organized crime rings, they are a lot and they're debilitating and they are very focused, right? Their goal is to steal as much from you as possible. And that is their number one job. And they have a whole company targeting that. But also fraud as a service. Fraud as a service has been scaring me ever since I learned about it. And I think it really became a thing in 2020, but it has now grown so much this year. And it allows people to the capabilities to commit types of fraud that they never would before because they don't know the skill. Right? Oh, I don't know how to do that, but I can just hire it out. I can just have someone else do that. And that is also causing a lot of issues. I mean, the other thing I'd tack on is I talked about this a couple of weeks ago, and I don't know if I gave it enough credit, but in my retailer call, we had a really significant conversation a few weeks ago, maybe a couple months ago now. I don't know. Time is blending together. But around these fraud as a service rings are recruiting internal resources for companies, especially customer service. And I know a handful of retailers that have had to build new reporting to be able to identify. And sometimes it's like, well, whose job is that, right? Like, is that you know, within the company. And so sometimes it just kind of falls flat, but it's something to be known that as fraud as a service becomes more and more profitable. And as we start to try to identify it, because oftentimes they're systemized so we can start to identify it, they'll then go inside your network. They'll go inside your company and, you know, recruit some of the lowest paid people in your company and say, hey, I'll give you 75 bucks for every time you reroute a package. I'll give you, you know, 50 bucks every time you issue a refund. I'll give, you know, whatever. And I'm sure that the same kind of things happen in fintech and other places. And that's becoming more and more of an issue. And you combine that with the economics of people in those positions in your company, as well as the you know, amount of power they have. And the fact that they might have fear that they might lose their jobs soon because of all the layoffs, it's a perfect storm. And it, it really needs to be, you know, proactively talking to your frontline staff and telling them that as well as having reporting to be able to identify it quickly. And that's not reporting that's always ready. <laughs> it yes. can sometimes be a really heavy lift. Yeah, yeah I, I fully agree. And I think what I would say is, is that we're starting to see like organized crime practices of finding that like the inside man, fi finding system vulnerabilities, maturing in, into our space. And that happens every once in a while. We've seen cycles like this before. It's this is not, but the technology sophistication of it is growing. Yeah. Their ability to do this at scale is growing. And well, they can and, use LinkedIn to identify people or they can, you know, do it via chat that isn't monitored or, you know, and there's different and it's definitely scaling. I think that's the piece, right? I think that's what we're getting around is whether it's using human trafficking and modern slavery, like the manipulators and other large fraud rings, mostly in Southeast Asia, or it's, you know, bots and scripted attacks from or Northeast Asia or, you know, other pieces, the sophistication and scale of the people on the fraud side has grown significantly in 2022. And just looping back to what you said, as far as like, you know, mediocre isn't good enough when the other side is continually innovative. I can't, I just want to repeat that on loop. Like, and I think that there are a lot of like providers as well as practitioners that probably think that they're innovative. But if you're not continually learning and adjusting and continually assessing, 
you're not going to be ready and you just you just won't be and you won't identify it until it's very late in the game and it will ultimately be massive amounts of money being lost as well as everything else that goes with that fully agree well gil obviously we could talk forever with you know full disclosure we've probably i've you know taken up about like two and a half hours of your time or so but i always appreciate you coming on Fraudology, and I was joking with you before that I need to get some kind of the equivalent for the five-time guests on SNL that get the green jacket, because I think you're close, so this might be your fifth or your sixth, but I really appreciate not only your willingness to participate, but like I said before, your just your thoughtful takes on things and your point of view, and especially that it represents another faction of my audience that I... I want to make sure that I'm providing good information to too. So I always appreciate our conversations and I'm so happy that you are doing so well as a you know solopreneur. I know how challenging it can be, but you continue to add value to all of your clients. I know that through knowing some of them and I will make sure that I put a link to your LinkedIn profile in the show notes. Is there any other way that people can find you or support you or anything else? And LinkedIn is great. And this is, it's always a pleasure to come on Fraudology and to talk to you. And I, I've said this quite a few times before, but this is just such an, such an asset to the community to have this platform and you providing it is amazing. So Aww. thank you for everything you've provided to the community in 2022. And uh, Wow. Well, likewise, Gil, I really appreciate all your contributions to the community as well in this last year. And yeah, I can't help but get sentimental and reflective at the end of the year, but there is something kind of exciting about opening a new chapter too. So I look forward to having you back again in 2023 and just continually seeing you and your business grow. It just brings me so much joy. So thank you very much. Thanks again. again to Sardine for sponsoring this episode of Fraudology and for supporting information sharing and collaboration across the fraud fighter ecosystem. You can learn more about the team and their mission at Sardine via the link in today's episode description.